Welcome to the Whose Body Is It podcast. I'm your host, Isabella Malvin. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a birth worker, life coach for sovereign women, hypnotist, and a former liberal feminist turned radical truth teller. On this podcast, I expose the forces at play attempting to control our minds and bodies, such as transgender ideology, porn, prostitution, and so much more. Together, we'll untangle patriarchal lies as you listen to jaw-dropping interviews with women from around the world. Warning, while listening to this podcast, you might find yourself triggered or perhaps notice where you've been biting your tongue on the issues that matter most to you. In my coaching, I help women stop getting triggered by every freaking thing, cultivate resilience, stop unwanted behaviors, and increase self-confidence. You can book your first session at whosebodyisit.com. And I want to just say that it's because of your endless support that I'm able to interview amazing women, get their stories out, and produce regular episodes for all of you. So with that being said, please like, comment, and subscribe to my channel on YouTube. And if you're just listening in, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and consider making a financial contribution via the link in the show notes. You can also visit my activist sticker shop. My pro-woman stickers have the power to intercept transhumanist programming. So be sure to take a photo of your stickers out in the wild and tag me on Instagram at whose body is it? Without further ado, let's get into this week's story. In today's episode, expert theater educator Amy Souza unveils the harrowing psychology behind the gender ideology currently being promoted in schools, on television, and throughout all aspects of culture. With a master's in depth psychology and over 20 years of experience, Amy confidently elucidates the real world consequences of exposing children to gender ideology foregoing our fear response system, and what happens when we sacrifice bodily authority in the name of inclusivity. Amy breaks down what a synthetic sex identity is, the harm of exhibitionist kinks and drag, how to navigate grooming happening in schools, the empathy trap, and what women can do about it. We end the episode um, with Amy sharing an outline of inspiring skill building tools for women. And I also get into some of the parts therapy work that I do with women who are working through all the crazy shit. Let's just maybe start with your background um, before all the trans stuff came into your into your world. I kind of have these um, like parallel tracks that came together. And one is uh, being a theater educator for uh, over 20 years. So I worked in the New York City public school systems with a couple of different programs. Uh, I did a lot of things where I used um, theater to do conflict resolution and peer mediation and anger management. 
and self-esteem building. Uh, I also work for the Book and Arts Council, um, doing arts and literacy with theater. And then I uh, moved when I moved to Washington, I was the education director at a small regional theater here, and I did um, play building. So I had students uh, create characters using their bodies, and then it was an opportunity to use those characters to build plays together. So it was, uh, for them, it was a way to speak their own values in their own voices and really kind of express their, their own concerns and their own uniqueness. Parallel to that, I also went to grad school in depth psychology. I did my postgraduate work in that as well. Although I wrote a dissertation, I did not end up uh, defending my dissertation, but the dissertation is very, very much used um, that theater background because it was really about how the creative imagination uh, is a way to be in our bodies mm -hmm. and it's a way to experientially uh, develop knowledge and to build inner authority. So it's a <laughs> it's an actual hands on skill building practice of of authority building uh, because mm -hmm. it it has these capacities where the knowledge that you find uh, when you're doing it it's not a fact you know it's a it's a it's an experience. So you know where we have like facts that can supplant other facts like you know, the earth was flat and everyone knew it. <laughs> and then the earth was round and, and a new fact supplanted that old fact. So in a certain sense, facts are, I mean, they're important, of course, um, but they're a little less stable. But the knowledge that you form uh, through experiential practices um, is not knowledge that can be taken away from you uh, because you went through it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. your gained knowledge um, is a way of finding inner authority rather than just um, having a mental fact at hand. Mm. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love the, that framing. And so you, you mentioned you worked with, with children with anger management at that point in working in the New York public school system, were you seeing kids that were identifying as trans at that point? Not, not yet. No, okay. this, um, when I was in New York, um, I left New York in 2009. Uh, so it was very on the periphery. Um, and I think I saw, I think I had, I had an adult friend um, who had uh, changed her name. Um, and she, she wasn't, you know, saying that she was a trans man. She just simply changed her name from a more feminine name to a masculine name. Mm -hmm. Um, I also met a woman who I think she called herself ZZM and I, I remember like, I, I didn't really have a, a huge thought process around it, except thinking it was very frustrating to remember right. <laughs> um, how to address her. <laughs> but it, this really started coming up for me actually in Washington. And I remember noticing it maybe starting around 2015. And my, my value set with, with kids was, was always to express their own uniqueness, you know? So 
I, I did a lot of things around um, trying to really help them play, you know, like I, I and I would talk about adornments, you know, like all these things that we put on, they're just adornments, you know, mm-hmm. and, and across culture, <laughs> across history, um, time periods, all cultures have had different adornments. So these adornments in themselves are are neutral in their value, and and it's it's culture that kind of um, prescribes um, you know stereotypes or sex roles onto the adornment. So I would do a lot like you know makeup is just face paint, and face paint is just a neutral adornment. Clothing is just fabric (laughs) and Mm -hmm. fabric is neutral in, in it's, you know um, it's just a neutral adornment. So I, I always thought I did a lot to help my students um, express in ways that they wanted to explore or felt comfortable. But I remember there was um, a a kid who um, was a boy and he was wanting to go on wrong sex hormones. And there was a group of parents that were uh, supporting him in this and um, actually helping get a GoFundMe going uh, to fund this kid. And I, I wasn't, you know, outspoken about this at the time, but I just was having little conversations in the background. And I was working on a show that had, um, it doesn't matter, but I, I was talking to this woman who was a sound director. I was just saying like, I just had this little conversation like, well, gosh, I, you know, I feel for this kid, but you know, if it was my kid, you know, I might let him choose a new name, but I wouldn't want him to hurt his body. And, and already I just saw it as something that was hurting his body. And I was like, I I would want my kid to to love their body, Mm -hmm. you know? And the woman, again, there, you know, there's no, I don't think either of us have heard, had heard of you know, turf or, you know, transphobe wasn't a word yet. Like none of that was like in my registry yet. But, but at the time she was like, well, you know, you can't know what he's feeling. And I kind of was like, but he can, even at the time I was like, but he can only feel his own body. Like that's the one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't until post me too, that I really started getting really active on this because me too came up. Um, and that was, um, I was really very moved by that. I, I ended up sharing my own rape story. It was a story that I hadn't told a lot of people. I hadn't told my family. Mm. Um, and so seeing all these women, um, come forward and kind of like claim territory and, and really share what had been done to them. I was very inspired. Anyway, I put my own story out. I don't remember if it was that women's march or the next one but it was like when there was all the pussy hats and trump was in office Mm -hmm. and i remember i was on the um the facebook page for the seattle women's march and there was a group of men who of course were calling themselves women uh who were saying that the pussy hats were uh transphobic and i was like "Mm." 
Oh, I forgot about this. Yes, because it had the word pussy in it and men don't have pussies. Oh, God. And I was just like, surely not. Like, I I just remember arguing (laughs) with them. But I I was like sort of dialless. I just was like, but... And I I was just trying to be really reasonable still at the time. I was like, but... It's a women's march. Like, what is the better place to talk about women's bodies and women's reproductive organs and women's reproductive health? Like, this isn't phobic of anyone or anything. It's just a woman's vagina at a woman's march. Like, it's a pussy, you know. Um, and and then they they kind of all piled on on the thread, you know, on the Facebook post group, and um, and then they doxed me. Oh my gosh. Um, so they, uh, I started getting Facebook messages like, is this you? Is this where you live? Is this your phone number? We know who you are. Oh my God, Amy. I had, wow. I had no idea. So it was scary, but the funny thing is they had my, my dad's like, they, I don't know. They, they've only, I didn't respond to them, of course. So they, there's actually a number of Amy Susas. It's actually kind of a common name mm. and they had my dad's business information and I was like oh I hope they call my dad like <laughs> <laughs> like he will he will get him he'll defend you he'll get him <laughs> um but it was shocking I mean I was I was definitely Scary. um scared and yeah. I was really sh- like shocked more than anything like the lengths that they were going I, I mean I I Again, I was just like, it, it, women have vaginas, women have pussies, women have vulvas, women, this, this, women can talk about their bodies yeah. and it, it doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> like what? And again, it was like so freshly post me too. I, I just was incredulous. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, in a way like <laughs> they <laughs> can thank themselves for every single thing that I've done since then, because that is, that is the hook, Mm. uh, that it took to get me to go down the rabbit hole. Mm. Um, and then Mm -hmm. I started researching everything, you know, I started, I think I found, that's when I found, you know, Magdalene, uh, Burns. Uh, I found, um, Sheila Jeffrey's book. I found, um, I, I found Megan Murphy. I started going down. I, I moved, I, I, I got anonymous on Twitter. Like I, I, at first I didn't have my name associated with, with my known heretic handle, Mm -hmm. but it was ultimately that was the rabbit hole that I, I started going down and I started being very active on my Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, I think it was, I don't know, maybe it was like six months before the the pandemic, I had started using, I had started using my name and picture. I was like, you know, screw this. And then right when the pandemic started, I like came out in my town. I live in quite a small town. There's only like 9,000 people here. Oh, wow. And I was sort of um, like a well-beloved <laughs> figure, um, as I had worked at the theater and I had worked with kids and I did things for the film festival here. And like, Mm -hmm. um, I was kind of a a known quantity and, um, and, and I very quickly went from like, like a a favorable known quantity to kind of more of a pariah. 
that was big. <laughs> that was really big. It was really big to like, I, that was the moment when, and I think some of us who have been in this have had this, that was the moment where, you know, there were people had I, that I hadn't been sharing these ideas with and that I, I just ultimately spilled everything. And, and I used exactly, you know, like the arguments of, of my um, kind of on my background, like talking about like phenomenologically, like we're always in our bodies, like whatever a man feels or doesn't feel, he's always feeling the physical sensations of his male body. He will never not feel the physical sensations of his male body. And he can never access physical sensations for apparatus that he simply doesn't have. So there's an, I know to me again, like, because I was like grounded in that kind of work, I was just like, how are people having a disconnect? Like this notion is, is stereotypes like what? (laughs) Um, But, uh, but yeah, that was when I lost a lot of friends. And then shortly after that, um, is when, you know, I found Karadansky and met a group of women and met you and put on a protest against Biden's EO. And um, that was the start of uh, some serious activism. You know, often I hear like, it's literally just not possible. Like men cannot become women, women cannot become men. But I really appreciate the way that you've defined that. Like why? Well, because every feeling that we have is relevant to our bodies. And, and since our bodies are just our bodies and that's just the way that they are and the way that they've been since we incarnated in, into a body or was born in, into a body or were grown by our mothers, it's just the way that it is. So regardless of adornment, silicone parts, fluctuations in hormonal levels, removal of body parts, it's all still comes back to like you in that, in that very same body. And I I like the way that you've kind of broken it down to like the physical sensations. So like when we think about men who are trying to simulate periods, you know, that is the sensation of a fluid coming out of a hole in their male body. Now there are lots of scenarios where fluids (laughs) come out of holes of our bodies that aren't periods. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous. It's like, okay, okay. So now you're saying, you know, we would just like break it down to facts. You have a man who has a fluid that appears to be the color red coming out of a hole in his body. Okay. They have a story that that's a period, but if you just break it down to the the, the very fact, they have, they have no access to understand what the convulsions of, you know, a uterus uh, uh, and cervix feel like they don't, they have no access to that understanding of sensation. And in fact, you know, the, the other way that I like to frame it is that, you know, everything that man is feeling is a uniquely male experience, you know, inverting your penis and creating an artificial hole in your body that's uniquely male yes that's something only a male can do i have no access to understand what that might be like right that's uniquely male um you know and i think that you know, to me, it was like always so simple. Like we're, we're, when I'm, when we're talking about bodies, we're just, we're talking about 
physical form and function and it's Mm -hmm. neutral. Like, just like I told those kids, the adornments are neutral. Like in a way our bodies are, are neutral. Like it's culture that is, you know, projecting a lot of narrow prescriptions onto our bodies, but our bodies they are neutral, you know, they, they, they simply have form and function, like, Mm. like we're mammals and not reptiles, you know, or we're animals and not fungus. (laughs) We're, you know, humans and not primates, you know? Um, So it's just a way of talking about our form and function and, and yeah, the body is always perceiving, you know, the body is never not feeling sensations. Mm -hmm. We are constantly in a, um, perceptual, uh, sense eight conversation with our bodies. It's constant. And I think part of this ideology, which is so disembodied and it is, you know, um, very postmodern, but this, it's sort of this idea that, you know, like the mind or I don't know, the, the, the gender soul or whatever is somehow separated, you know, like dissociated from the body where in fact, we are ultimately, you know, a gestalt, we are all at once, we are holistic. We are fully embodied, fully sexed always. Like no matter what a man does, he's always going to be on a parallel track. You know, there, he, whatever he, whatever um, extreme plastic surgery he gets, he, he will never get closer. You know, he'll, he'll yes. always be equal distance from being a woman as he was on the day that he was born. Yes. And the other thing that I like to say about this is, is first of all, you know, cause of course, like any of us who have been in this conversation, like there's always like, what is a woman? What is a woman? We, we get this question all the time. And the thing, the thing about our embodiment too, is that um, because it's constant, it is, it's a process. It's a developmental process that starts at birth and it ends in death. I have not even experienced yet all of the experiences that there are, you know, I have yet to do perimenopause. I have yet to do menopause. I have not yet to do postmenopause, you know? So I have not even yet experienced all of the things that there are to experience about being a woman. It's a lifelong physical developmental process. It's, that's the other thing that kind of kills me about it. it it's not reducible to, to a concept. It's not a conceptual thing. It's an experience. It's a, it's a, right. it's a process over time. Right. Right. And the TRAs will latch on. They'll say, well, this woman didn't have a baby. Does that not make her a woman? Or this woman had a hysterectomy. Is she not a woman? Or this woman had her breast removed. Or this woman, you know, died at 16. Was she not a woman? As like, what? I know. <laughs> well, and they always use women's pain against us. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you cannot conceive, if you are a woman who wants to conceive and you cannot conceive, that is a uniquely female pain. Yes. You know, if you have a hysterectomy, that is uniquely female. If you are a girl who doesn't, I had a friend who did not get her period. 
do you know how many doctor's appointments she was forced to go to because she still hadn't got her period at 17? You know, the ways that she was poked and prodded and, and looked at because she didn't get her period. I mean, if a boy is 17 and doesn't have his period, that is a healthy boy. No one does anything. Right. You know, so to not get your period or to have a hysterectomy or to um, not be able to get pregnant, you, you will go through a lot uh, if, as a woman when you're experiencing those things, because it, it's uniquely female men who who don't you know, who can't conceive that that's a healthy man. He's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with him. It's not the same. These things they keep trying to make it like, oh, now we're the same. No, we're, we're still <laughs> Oh you still don't get it. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I'm glad we can laugh about it now. I really appreciate what you said about um, that, that at all times, men and women are on parallel um, paths with e- equal, e- equally, uh, equal distance apart from one another, right? Yeah. The, 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 the man's path will never intersect with the woman's path. The woman's path will never intersect with, intersect with the male's path, regardless of cosmetic surgery, hormones, feelings, circles, acceptance, exclusion, whatever, like it will never be the same. One of my, one of my lines, I almost put this on a sticker and then I did it, but which was, um, you can still um, do it. I can still do it. It was, um, you were born a man and you'll die a man. It's just the truth. And I wish that more people and parents and counselors were, you know, said such a strong, honest thing to these poor people who are just seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking to no end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, I think I I know that, that people are, um, they're trying to be so nice you know I know this and uh, Jennifer Thomas who I don't know if you know uh, she calls it yeah she calls it the empathy trap you know Mm -hmm. that we fall they fall into this empathy trap where they are trying to um be nice but but again like you know all of these things um you know the the notion of inclusivity or or being nice to someone uh, for the sake of their feelings and pretending they're the wrong sex, that comes at the direct expense of of boundaries, um, and it comes at the direct expense of of being able to be um, grounded in reality and to have um, sovereignty and authority over the reality around me. So. Mm-hmm. This is important for all of us, but it really is important for kids because I mean, this, this stuff is in the schools and right now, you know, kids are ultimately being told that they do not have the authority to, to directly name what their eyes and ears are seeing, you know, and, and developmentally to point at a thing and say the thing that that, that that's a two-year-old um, developmental stage. You know, that's what two-year-olds do. We, you know, point and say, I, I point at a thing. I say the thing that I see. And, you know, anyone who's, you know, been around a two-year-old, you know, you do a lot of that with them. Like they're like tree and you're like, yeah, that's right. It's a tree. And, you know, um, or they're like, yes. you know, like man, yeah, that's right. It's a man, baby. Yeah, that's right. It's a baby. Um, And also developmentally, like that's why we see 
like the terrible twos because, because it's the very beginning of them claiming authority over the world around them mm-hmm. and they are flexing their will. Um, so it's developmentally appropriate to their age range, but ultimately this is something that, that all kids need. They need to be able to um, claim the authority of their own senses, what their eyes see, what their ears hear, you know, and, and their likes and their dislikes around it. And so when, when parent uh, adults, boom, these teachers, you know, when a kid says you're a girl and the teacher says, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a they, or I'm a he that what, what that teacher is really saying is you cannot trust your own sense of reality. You cannot trust the information that your body is telling you. You do not have the authority to, to name and describe the world around you. So it causes a cognitive dissonance and it causes a dissociation, but it also really is a safeguarding failure because being able to name the world around you, that, that is a very basic, you know, authority tool. It's a very basic boundary tool, you know, and that, that helps kids keep themselves safe, you know, and that's why stories like Little Red Riding Hood exist, <laughs> you know, because she is naming um, her reality regardless of the external adornments that that wolf has put on, mm. you know, wow. despite the yes. fact <laughs> that he has put on, you know, grandma's cap and gown. She's like, mm, but you have very big ears and you have very big eyes and you have very big teeth. And that is the process mm of, of naming what she sees in front of her. Um, and it's, it's establishing, um, an authority over the situation psychologically right. Right. And, and, and just literally. And the, and the children who dissent, who are in tune with their boundaries, who can discern, who are fearless about discerning, you know, what is what get punished. There is yes. now a whole system reward system around denying reality and the opposite so if you dissent you are punished you are you know put in time out or detention or you know get a talking to or you know called transphobic and and ostracized so yeah it really is a kind of flip on the, the kind of mainstream narrative around uh trans identified students being bullied, uh, being kind of like pushed to the fringes. No, actually the opposite is happening where they are uplifted. They are given awards and the kids who don't want to go along with the delusion are actually become the minority. Now this isn't in every single school, but public schools, independent private schools, you know, maybe the exception, and maybe you can speak more on this would be, um, religious schools, maybe religious schools in rural areas, but from the women that I hear from, and I'm sure you hear from as well, it's, it's really everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's a kid to do? I mean, what, what, what's a kid to do in a, in a private school where they're being told, uh, uh-uh, uh, you can't say that that little boy is a boy. This is, this is where they really need, uh, their parents 
backing um, because there, there are kids who do not have their parents backing. And, um, you know, I know moms whose kids have gotten in trouble um, for, you know, not using um, the wrong sex pronouns. Uh, and there are moms that I know who have written letters um, directly back to the school and said, you know, my kid will not participate. Mm. You know, my kid, my kid uh, is my kid will say that kid's name, you know, my kid, maybe, you know, they agree, like my kid won't, you know, misgender, even though that's accurately sexing, of course. Um, but maybe, but they, my kid will just simply not participate, like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, um, and I think kids need parents to do that. There were, I, I don't know if you saw the, the, this week, um, there were three boys in Michigan who were suspended for yes. accurately sexing another student. And yes. now they are possibly going Going to be sued using title nine. I mean, when was the last time that title nine was used to help a girl who was molested or raped or sexually harassed at school? I mean, when was the last case we used title nine to do that? Even like in Loudoun County, like girls who got raped in Loudoun County, you know, yeah. it's like we've we have gone so far off of uh, out of the uh, I mean, it just it, it makes me a little insane. But I feel for these kids. Be yeah, because they're going to get sued for saying true things that their eyes can see and their ears can hear. And for anyone who isn't familiar with Title IX and what and how it's changing, maybe we give just like a brief overview. The purpose of Title IX was to protect mostly women, you know, on the basis yeah. of their sex from workplace harassment, from um, all sorts of things that we've, we've been dealing with and are still dealing with. But now it uh, sex is they're pushing the Biden administration is pushing for uh, sex to also include gender identity, which is which nullifies the the idea or the, the facts of sex, the reality of sex. So you cannot protect both the, the feelings in the head, uh, which are, you know, which is called gender identity with a material reality. They're completely incompatible. So um, so that that's what we're seeing happening in, in real time. I mean, this is a, like a prime example of changing this protection to defend trans ideology and therefore penalize three boys who accurately sexed one of their peers. I mean, it, it's insane. This is, you know, this is very, you know, people keep saying it's very 1984. It's very 1984, you know, that yeah. when the, the government is basically saying you don't, you can't say the truth. You're not where you're just simply not allowed and you will be punished for it. It's, um, and I, I do worry for kids and, um, you know, because again, like if I'm a young girl and I'm in a bathroom, let's say, and a man comes in, it, it should be my instinct to be able to scream, um, call for help, uh, fight back, uh, you know, tell him he has to leave. You know, if, if there's a man who comes into my space, one, he already violated a boundary. So I don't know what other boundaries he wants to violate. So so I should be able to rely on my instincts. 
And uh, there's a great book about this called The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker, mm-hmm. which which mm-hmm. talks about, um, you know, ultimately having a fear response is a gift because it gives you all of this information and it it's 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 a natural response system uh to a dangerous situation um and and our senses you know our sense perceptions and our instincts are all guidance systems to keep us safe, you know, and, and, um, you know, animals don't have the cognitive dissonance thing, you know, if a rabbit, uh, sees a Fox, the rabbit runs, you know, the rabbit doesn't Mm -hmm. sit around and, and try to mentally analyze like, well, is this Fox phobic? Yeah. Is this really a Fox? Like, I don't know. I maybe I'll try to see what he says and I'll try to get the idea, you know, and, and ultimately this, this um, ideology causes a cognitive dissonance and it causes us to go to a place where now we're forced to be in a mental place of mentally analyzing. Now I'm like, well, I don't know. He's wearing a dress, but I don't, is he, a nice man in a dress? Is he um, a, a man who wants to hurt me wearing a dress? Like I, I uh, but the thing is, this is not, this is, that's that empathy trap. It's not my responsibility to do any mental analysis. It's my responsibility to respond to my instincts. Um, so th- these things dissociate us and especially kids, you know, it dissociates us from our instincts and our ability to be able to respond to them. Um, and I think that is really, I mean, it's very dangerous and, and it, it's not, you know, that, that's why I, you know, I do always tell people like the pronoun thing is not benign. It's not just like benign. It's not like, Oh, you know, if they're a nice person, then I use their, their wrong sex pronouns. No, it is not nice. Um, and when any, when anyone ever asks me to be nice, um, I tell them that I am being nice to children. That's Mm -hmm. who I'm being nice to. I'm being nice to children by affirming the reality that we can all see with our eyes and ears that that's nice. You know? Yeah. You mentioned adornment earlier and the process of, you know, using the the kind of play of adornment and in your theater background and working with children in theater. Um, has that shifted your like, do you see uh, do you feel like it's more of a blurry line now with all of the you know, opposite sex appropriation, as Jennifer Billet calls it, you know, like these men yeah. who are appropriating um our our stereotypically um female garb yeah is is there a is there a line for you like is is drag a, a line for you is that okay where do yeah on there yeah drag is definitely a line that that crosses the line um yeah i yeah i love god i love jennifer billick i love her yeah synthetic sex identity as she she's talked about yes. recently um yeah, drag uh, absolutely crosses a line. And I think what what I think crosses a line is um when you have gone to lengths to make an attempt to fool my senses. Mm. Uh 
So if you are trying to somehow fool my senses, if you are somehow trying to trick me into thinking you are something other than you are, that crosses a line, you know, like simple non-conformance, um, Right. You know, I don't, I don't care. I don't care if a woman, you know, cuts her hair short and wants to wear blue jeans. Um, uh, but if she has gone to the length of taking wrong sex hormones so that she can grow a beard and have her voice drop. Yeah. I don't like that, you know, or again, like if a man ha- is wearing um, prosthetic breasts, uh, and has, um, used, you know, like pounds of makeup to recontour his face, um, you know, in a way that disguises him as what he is. Yeah. I don't appreciate it. And I, I mean, I, anything that involves, you know, all of these extreme plastic surgeries and, and, and drag also drag is included in this, even though sometimes they just wear prosthetics, This really comes from um, the the extreme plastic surgery movement really is rooted in porn. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's when we saw women start to have, um, you know, hyper exaggerated um, breast augmentations and rib removals and lip injections and, you know, butt implants. This comes from a, a hyper objectified, hyper sexualized, uh, male gaze, like a a demand of men to fetishize women's sexual parts. So I really see all of the extreme plastic surgery that, that comes around, um, the, the synthetic sex identities as really being a part of that. It's, it's a hyper sexualization. It's a hyper objectification. And it's also a commodification, you know, like Mm -hmm. that, that, that somehow, again, that somehow we're not holistic beings. We are just a collection of parts, you know, that are interchangeable. And the other thing that I see that I don't like, especially with the men who do it, I, I, I do think that the women who, who go into this do tend to dress just like, you know, regular men, like they're wearing clothes that they could wear, you know, regardless of, you know, if they were a woman or uh, who was pretending to be a man or not. But I do see a lot of men who are doing this are wearing fetish gear in yes. public. Yes. You oh know, my gosh. and it's, it's not just yes. like what I'm wearing. It's not just like, you know, uh, a blouse that maybe has some more gathering and, and a sweater and having long hair. It's like, uh, a bustier in public and a teeny tiny skirt and like, you know, it, it's fetish gear. Yeah. Um, I, I was a part of a conversation on, on a Facebook group with, there was a guy who said, well, I'm not pretending to be, you know, he, he was like, I'm not pretending to be a woman. Um, I just like to dress like this. And it was like, he, he was dressed as um like, something my five-year-old niece would wear like this little pink halter top and oh. knee highs and, and a little pink skirt. And I was like, that is no. And, and there were some women in there, even, you know, feminists who were like, well, he's, you know, he's just non-conforming. And I was like, that is freaking fetish gear. That's not just yes. non-conforming. Yes. Thank you. He's Thank not you. just. <laughs> yes. 
no, thank you for making that that distinction too. And like, there are a number of sex offender, like these men who dress like there was that guy in DC, I forgot his name, who would wear the tutu, the little girl's tutu that would fan out. Um, and it was so, so it would like fan away from his body. And what I later learned that some of these men who, who, who want to be validated in public wearing their fetish gear, um, wear contraptions that will mask their erections. And I want people to like hear that, like that, that there isn't like your, your impulse, like we were talking about to like, like, uh, or uh, like, Hmm, something's off. Right. Like that is real. That is a real thing. These men have been confirmed to be sex offenders. And like, think about it, like going out in public, showing like almost revealing your genitalia. Like, why? Why would one do that? Why would one do that? It's to fulfill a kind of fetish. It's like they're on a binge for validation. And, and the autogonophiles that I, I've heard interviewed who speak very openly about their fetish is like the more clothes they buy, the, the more like fetish, like they appear like the, the, the more satisfying the fix is it's like in a, in a kind of an, in an addictive capacity. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And there was one thing, Oh, I wanted to mention, I was in New York recently, Amy and I don't, I don't think it's just that I am more attuned to like seeing what is there, but I saw the, the, the most number of, of women identifying as men with beards, um, no breasts. And also it was, is always the case that you're almost always the case that, that you've just mentioned the men who are pretending to be women in full fetish gear, like walking around union square, like full on stripper, stripper heels. And no one is batting an eyelash. Like no one's even looking like, we're not just talking about like in the West village, uh, the drag queens like coming off of work, you know, from the night before early in the morning, like this is like commuter hours, men in full blown fetish gear. And I, I really appreciate you making the distinction between nonconformity and the normal the normalization of this pornified um, objectifying amalgamation of of, of parts and, and things that, that we are supposed to accept as like a unique identity. Yeah. 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 Your, your kink is not an identity and your kink is not appropriate for public. And, and like you say, it's, it's, it's an exhibitionism fetish. It's, it's forced participation. Now you've, now you have forced me against my will to participate in your fetish. Um, And I find it very disturbing. And I find the, these, um, you know, there are just I cannot believe they're blowing up, but there are more and more and more of them everywhere I look. These libraries that are participating in these drag queen story hours. And why do you want your kid to be exposed to a sexualized performance? Drag has always been an adult, specifically adult male, sexualized performance. You know, this isn't like a clown, you know, I feel like they're treating it like, oh, it's just like a clown. Like, no, these are, these are a a, a highly sexualized 
What if we were doing, you know, like hooker story hour? No one would agree with that because we, we understand very much that that's a hyper-sexualized right. um, uh, way of dressing that is not appropriate for kids. I mean, it's in, and it, there's not appropriate for kids in many ways, but drag is, is, is also not appropriate for kids. And I, I, I am very concerned by this sort of thing, really all of this. And, and going back also to what we see just in the normal curriculum in the schools, mm-hmm. even just having a pronoun conversation with kids is the normalization of child adult sexual conversation. Yes. You know, like no adult should be telling kids their pronouns because already that is ultimately a sexualized conversation. Yes. You know, that's inappropriate. That's inappropriate. And, you know, if I don't know what I, 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 I worry for my nieces and nephews, I don't have my own children, but I, I worry for what they are you know, confronted with in their schools. And, you know, luckily they have not yet had any teachers who are pushing this on them, but I, I think it is probably only a matter of time. And I, you know, I applaud all of the parents who are talking back at school board meetings and just FYI um, to anyone listening, anyone can talk at a school board meeting. You know, I have testified at school board meetings. Um, you do not have to be uh, a parent or you, and you do not have to be, have a child at that school to mm-hmm. give feedback. You can stay abreast of the ones that are happening in your area. Um, and a lot of them are even online now, you know, because yeah. of, COVID, which is a whole other thing, but, um, um, but it, you know, just if you are, have nervousness, then, you know, they are easier to attend online You're, it's not as confrontational. Um, and, but you can share your two cents about these policies and, and how wrong they are. Yeah. That's a great point. Thank you for, for saying that it's true. Yeah. That's something I, I only learned recently with, with what was going on in round rock. Yeah. I, I, you bring up such a good point. Like, can, can anyone imagine there being a prostitute, a female prostitute, wearing fishnets, stripper heels with her legs spread open, reading a book at a story hour. That would be insane. No one would go for that. No one would like think that was okay, yet it's okay if it's a man. What? Oh, also one thing I wanted to mention, I, I, you know this, I grew up in New York City and a friend of mine in high school for her 16th birthday had, uh, had it at a drag bar. And what? yes, so it was like it was really it was actually a really famous one. I think you, it, it's now closed. It was called. Um, it's called something like the Red Lips or something. Of course, mm-hmm. it's called mm-hmm, the Red Lips. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was something of that. I can't remember what it was called, but it was this like just kind of landmark in the West Village. Wow, and wow. I think there was a mom there probably her mom and maybe 10 to 15 girls. And I got a lap dance from a grown man in drag. What? What? What did you think at the time? I, I I don't think I was the most like willing. I don't think I was the most excited participant. Like it was really Mm -hmm. quick, but even if you went there and didn't get a explicit lap dance, there would be like a stroking or a, you know, they flip your hair or something, you know, there would be some kind of attention drawn to your 
body, your girlhood, your, your especially your adolescent, you're, you know, you're like you're now at 16, you know, it's insane. It's and like, and like I, I have really good parents. Like my, my mom was incredibly protective and vigilant yeah. about where I was going, who I was with. And even w- with that, I mean, this, I don't think it crossed her mind. I mean, certainly not enough to not let me go. It's not like I hid it from her, but wow. also they serve food and it was kind of like a restaurant and, and like, it's a, it's a, it's a confusing mm-hmm. scenario because you're like watching a performance, but yeah, yeah. There's also it's just dinner theater. Yeah, it's just dinner theater, but then like with a casual swiping of your like butt. It's what? Yeah. What is happening? Yeah. And also, why were 16 year old like why are under 18 year olds allowed there too? I, very, very weird. It's like we're not talking yeah. about also a state where like prostitution is is legal either. You know, we're yeah, yeah. It's just crazy. But anyway, I, I thought about that. But um, that, that, yeah, I've thought oh about God. that scenario a number of times since, oh since God. then, I'm like, what was that? Yeah, that, that's really scary that that's, uh, you know, we, we, we would be fighting that now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, bye, honey. Have fun. What did you no. learn today? Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I learned how to twerk. I learned how to, yeah, I learned how to give a lap dance. Yeah, no, mom, it was okay because they're drag queens. It was, I'm sorry, he was how old? No, it's okay. He's gay. (laughs) No, it's okay. I'm sorry. The facts are it's an adult man touching your body. Yeah. Yeah. It's very scary. And I know, um, you know, our mutual friend Kay Yang, uh, the deprogrammer, has done a lot of. Expose on this and how how there there's so much grooming in this um, with kids like Desmond is amazing and and I see that they're doing this all the time now. One of these um, I saw one that was happening in the UK at some sort of a festival um, and there was a or maybe I don't know it doesn't matter um, but there was um, there there was a drag queen story hour and makeup sessions and also um, performance lessons. And I just very much, you know, question that, like, what are they going to learn? Like, as you say, like, are they going to learn how to do a lap dance, you know, and you see, you know, that kid like Desmond is amazing, who is learning how to, you know, have adults stuff money in his pants you know, this is, again, all of these things are, are just blurring boundaries, breaking down boundaries, degrading boundaries, and, and adult child sex conversations are not natural. Those should not be happening out in the world. Those are conversations, you know, that should happen between a child and a parent when it is age appropriate. This should not be normalized um, just amongst the adults in your, the, the, the child's life. Like yeah. this is insane. Yeah. And I, when I think of the performance learning, I think of the learning how to fool the senses. That's what I think of, you know, like just with, you know, like voice training or like moving yeah. or trying to mimic the mannerisms and, and the body language, you know, uh, of a woman, like we, we, 
we do share things in common as a sex class. Like we, we have a different kind of pelvic alignment and like we do move differently and that, that can be studied. It can't be recreated, but like that, I imagine there's some of, of that. I mean, that's what a lot of like drag performance is, is is trying to mimic um, the opposite sex uh, body movements and language. So yeah, I, I really appreciate the, you defining the line, like, in regards to drag culture, you know, and, and just to repeat what you said, the, the crossing the line for you is when you, when someone starts to make an attempt to fool your senses. And, and I think that's where a lot of anger, you know, comes out in, in people who let's say maybe don't have the best intentions who, who do want to commit acts of violence against, trans identified uh, men specifically, uh, those who are kind of tricked within the context of prostitution, right? There's, there is an anger and I'm not justifying by any means like, uh, you know, violence or or murder against trans identified men, especially in this context. But um, there is, and I've seen some stuff written about this, that, that, that there is a a level of, of betrayal and trickery that um, is really dangerous for, for both parties, right? Um, well, it ultimately constitutes, I mean, even if it's a, um, honestly, even if it's someone who's prostituting themselves, it still constitutes rape by deception, because if you are, if you are with a person who otherwise wouldn't be consenting, I mean, it's a weird thing because like, this is a person who is paid for sex. So, I mean, on the one hand, I don't have respect for men who pay for sex. Um, but on the other hand, it still constitutes a kind of rape by deception Mm. because, you are, are, that is a person who otherwise would not sleep with you. Yes. Oh, thank you for naming that. Yes. Rape by deception. Yes. And you know, that, and that results in a conflict between two men, right? That is then a conflict between two men. And we know that men kill each other all the time. So to make this into something like uniquely distinct from like, male violence, like it it is a a very specific context. And um, it's infuriating to see the the headlines of, you know, this this epidemic of, you know, trans identified men being murdered at alarming rates. Like, no, these are men, you know, sometimes killing other men, which happens all the freaking time. It does not compare to violence against women. No, it's the biggest, um, I mean, the biggest form of violence is male on male violence, you know, that, that, that makes up most of the planetary violence, male on male violence. Now the opposite is true of sexual violence. You know, most sexual violence is male on female sexual violence, but just violence um, you know, murder and that sort of thing that is usually male on male yes. for the most part. Ooh, I yeah. was so indoctrinated by the Paris is burning. Did you ever see that documentary about drag culture, uh, in the late eighties, early nineties, it was a documentary. Uh, I vaguely remember it. I think I've seen bits of it, but I don't think I've seen the whole thing, but yeah. uh, what, it, I don't what you mean. You, you, oh, you, it may you like be like, oh, drag is cool. Or what do you, yeah. Like drag is art. Drag is cool. And mm, we need to protect mm, these poor mm. drag queens because one <laughs> of the, yeah, no, literally. Cause one of the main drag queens featured was this man named Venus extravaganza. And 
he is murdered at, at the before they finished making the documentary. Um, but the subtext is what you just said, which is that it was coer it was rape by coercion or coercive, you know, rape with, yeah. with under, you know, he he had, you know, successfully fooled one of his sex buyers that that he was a woman until, of course, it got down to getting naked and in an act of, um, you know, anger and I guess feeling betrayed and, and tricked, uh, the sex buyer murdered him. And it's just it's like a horribly just like tragic, just plot line on, on so many levels. I mean, it's a documentary, but um, that definitely triggered my empathy. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, that's how marketing works, you know, that this is this is exactly how marketing works. And this is how, you know, Noam Chomsky's famous uh, book, you know, manufacturing consent, mm. you know, the, these, these are the tools, um, that the media has to, to get our buy-in and our participation, you know, and, and these things, I think that one, uh, another thing that I'll, I'll mention our friend Kay Yang again has done so successfully is really, she explores how this, how big the machine, the propaganda machine really is um, because it's, it's, it's everywhere, you know, it's in, mm-hmm. it's in television, it's in movies, it's in fashion, it's in, you know, it's on friggin' cereal boxes it's in school curriculum, you know, it's everywhere. And I don't know if, if everyone will know who Bernays is, who is the, um, the nephew of Freud. Mm-hmm. Um, so he used psychological tools um, to help big tobacco. And they didn't just sell cigarettes in an ad campaign. They sold cigarettes by having them featured in movies, Mm -hmm. having them featured on television shows, um, having, um, you know, that women on the runway walk the runway with cigarettes. Like, you know, again, these are the same tactics. These are the exact same tactics that we're, we're seeing here that the, there is a sort of mass marketing campaign that appears appears invisible because it just seems like, oh, like, you know, oh, there's a character in a television show who, you know, claims a trans identity. Oh, okay. You know, and we don't see like, oh, this, this, this is a marketing that is, is happening to you. Right. Or this is just Um, like a normal cultural shift that we're just going to move through and evolve. This is just a natural part of our evolution. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the, the fact of the matter is like, you know, just to go backwards a little bit, like no one likes to be tricked. This is a, again, this is a natural response to not want to be tricked. You know, we, we all are very reactive. You know, if you've ever had, you know, someone do something like, like, like steal from you or cheat you or, or some of these other things, you know, it's a natural response not to want to to be tricked. It's very funny to me that, that people can't understand, you know, why women would be uncomfortable with this. And, and first of all, like it it is a honed ability of all animals to recognize sex. This is an evolutionary trait for, for all, literally all animals have um, a very honed uh, ability to um, recognize sex. And this is for reasons of procreation. um, And it's for reasons of self-protection because 
you know, in, in many, if not most animal species, the male of the species is bigger and more predatory. And, you know, in mammals, you know, often the male of the species will kill the young of other males, you know, in order to further his line. So, you know, in a lot of species, the males are just more threatening, you know, I hopefully, you know, in general, you know, humans don't kill the youngs of competitive males, but, but again, this is to say that this is an evolutionary hone trait. So it's re sex recognition is really mm. important. Mm -hmm. So not, not to want to be tricked is important. And especially mm. again, like going back to um, our male violence statistics, especially in a culture in which over 99% of the rapists are men, you know, yeah. according to the FBI and over 88% of the victims are, are women and girls. So it is highly important to be able to recognize sex. Yeah. Highly yeah. urgent. Yeah. And, and to deceive me makes me mad. I don't like it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know, obviously for, for violence and for, for the need for protection and for mating and for procreation and to be able to determine which is the sex that I yeah. am interested in. Is it, is it one, is it both? And, you know, if, if you have the experience with a man and then you are pursued by a woman who is tricking your senses and who you think is a man, but when it gets to being in bed or there's just not something, there's just something off, you know, like that is because she's not a man and, and being able to know that and to just name that. And, and that's not to say that there aren't people who want to be sexually active with women who are identifying as men or men who are identifying as women. Like I, I understand that that is the case and that would make them either same sex attracted or, or bisexual. Right. And, and, and so, yeah, yeah. I also, I, I work with a number of women who are, who have been in relationships with trans identified men and women and who, who, who senses are, have been so disrupted in a sexual capacity that they are still trying to figure out what their sexual preference is. Uh, right. Yeah. And it's this ongoing process. And yeah. that I think is because, and, and, and my friends who have not had those experiences, who senses have not been kind of uh, tricked and, and confused, do not, are not struggling with finding that, that clarity around their sexual orientation, you know, who are in their, yeah. their thirties and forties. It's just pretty clear. Yeah. So, so that, that worries me too. the, you know, and, and, and with that comes sexual coercion and the, the pushing yeah. of boundaries and, but I liked it with this person. So shouldn't I, and they look the same, but they're missing a part, but is it really different? Yeah. Yes. It's different. Yeah, it's really different. It's really different. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, I was on a dating website once where I was approached by, you know, a woman, uh, who was pretending to be a man. It was, you know, she, she had a little beard, um, but it was still, you know, it was very clear to me. Uh, and I do think she actually, I do think she, she wasn't actually, she, in a, in a way she wasn't lying because I think she did say she, she was calling herself a trans man. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I mean, I, I felt for her in the sense of like, you know, most for most women, like I, I am attracted to men and you know, the, the penis part is important. 
you know, yes. it's just that that's important, you know, it's, it's not yes. nothing, you know, that it's hilarious. It's hilarious that, you know, those of us who, who are not into it, like, especially lesbians, this mostly happens to lesbians, but they get called genital fetishists, you know, as if, as if having a sexual orientation is the fetish where, you know, to me that this other thing, this, this hyper, you know, cosmetic surgery situation like that, that's the fetish, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you are, you are the one performing a fetish to, to have, um, to be attracted uh, to be, and not even attracted. It's not like, um, again, like these aren't like, um, you know, out of a choice of preferences, (laughs) you know, I don't, I don't have a preference there. There's just, you know, one thing that I'm oriented towards, or maybe I guess with a bi person, you are oriented to two, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and even as, even as one bi woman that I met said it like this though, cause she was, she, you know, she was like, even being bi, you know, I don't date people who, um, yeah. mm -hmm. And, and she said, you know, the thing is I like hamburgers and I like milkshakes, but I don't like hamburger milkshakes. That's oh. just her way of framing it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And and by women do get thrown under the bus a lot for being yeah. like, well, aren't you the ones? Shouldn't you be the ones to, you know, have sex with, you know, these these individuals? And, and like also we're talking a self-inflicted medicalization. Like you are now, if you are dating someone who is trans-identified, you are choosing to be with someone who is medicalized who has medicalized their bodies and that is distinct from like being with someone who's like diabetic right or yeah yeah, like I'm not saying you only have to date someone who's like not on medication but you are (laughs) choosing you know to be with someone who is quite entrenched in big pharma yeah surgery in a lot of maintenance right and and that's also something to you know it's okay for women to not want that in a relationship. It is okay to have all sorts of boundaries. And it's especially okay to have that particular boundary around, you know, not wanting to inject your partner with testosterone every morning. Like you are allowed to say that you don't want to do that. And, you know, whether that's ideologically, you know, kind of, um, fueled or just in terms of, yeah, I mean, uh, enabling and participating in uh, a self-inflicted kind of, uh, medical endeavor. Well, and I, you know, I wouldn't want to date anyone who had, um, extreme plastic surgery, Yeah, you know, like, I guess, you know, I know that now they have such a thing as like ab implants and, and some men are even doing these, you know, glute implants, you know, I, I wouldn't want any of that. Like if I met a man and he was like, Oh, I got these ab implants. I would be very disturbed. I would think like you person who, you know, instead of wanting to be in your body and, and I wouldn't care one way or the other, like, uh, you know, I guess how, like how much they worked out of the gym per se, but like, you know, if you want that work out of the gym, you know, uh, uh, but if, you know, otherwise just be in your body, just let your body be as your body is. I know men who would feel the same, like they wouldn't want to be with someone who had gone and, you know, had, you know, extreme breast augmentation or ribs removed or have lip fillers, you know, because it's just like, 
that just, you are telling me that you are not happy with you. That's what you're telling me by, by going through all of these things. Yeah. It's actually communicating to me that you're not happy. Yes. And it, I think on a subconscious level, it is very fragile to, to be with a person who is kind of synthetically kept in their body, right? Like, yeah, there that, that what, what you're getting in that moment is, is in flux, actually, there's no, there's no permanence to it. There's no security to it. There's no safety to it. it quite the opposite is actually a dangerous place to be in, in one's body. And so that kind of emotional maintenance or exhaustion too, I've heard, yeah. you know, from women and I'm speaking specifically to, to, um, lesbians. So who were in, in relationships with women who are identifying as, as men that there is, um, there's a fragility to dating someone who is not themselves, like you said, like not in their bodies, not themselves. And who, who's like, you know, what they're presenting is there's no guarantee that that's what you're going to see tomorrow. Yeah. Because it requires so many buttons and, 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 you know, machinery and, and hormones and, and orchestration to keep them looking like what yeah. you're you're seeing that that day ultimately this sort of thing i mean obviously this is about embodiment but this is also about accurately trusting our instincts so when you are in uh when you are in a, a created scenario when you are in one of these uh, synthetic sex scenarios you are in a, so you are in a place now where, um, you have disrupted an accurate pain pleasure response, you know, because now binding your breasts or cutting off your breasts or, or getting shots or getting extreme, uh, genital mutilation, these, this is pain. These are painful things, but now you've, you've disrupted a natural, um, you know, a pain response should tell us to recoil. You know, in a, in a, when we sense pain, we should recoil. Um, that is harm. Um, if I touch a hot pan, my body knows exactly what to do. It knows how to, you know, jump mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. But now the, these things disrupt the ability to have um, an accurate gauge of, of pain pleasure response, because now you are associating pain with authenticity. And this is especially damaging for the kids who are led down this path because that is their natural guidance system, you know? Mm -hmm. So now it's, it's like, that's why we, you know, when, when kids were going through that cutting phase or when, or when girls, you know, experience anorexia, you know, we, we try to help them because we can see that they are having a a disruption in that pain pleasure response, you know, because it's not natural to cause ourselves pain. That is a, 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 a dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Um, Our bodies are not functioning in the right way, you know, and, and I, it really worries me again, like when kids cannot trust their own bodies and trust the responses of, of their own bodies. It's really just scary. It's really hard. Yeah. Maybe, you know, we were talking earlier before we recorded the, the shifting from the head on fight, you know, specific to your work. We're not suggesting that 
everyone do this approach necessarily, but, you know, making space for the, you know, what we do want to see and leaning in towards, you know, embodiment and honing in on intuition and teaching this to, to children um, and, and moving away from the kind of the fighting with or the kind of a head on approach, which we so appreciate in our peers. And yeah, maybe would you mind talking a little bit about maybe yeah, your evolution in, you in know- activism? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm still going to do boots on the ground activism. I think it's, it's important to, um, I think it is important to create a public record of our descent. Mm. You know, I think a lot of times we, we see like sometimes, you know, I, I do, I'm glad Matt Walsh is like making his documentary. I'm glad, you know, he's doing things like that, even, you know, whatever I think about him, but we hear things from him where he's like, where are the women? Where are the feminists? Like, you know, we get, we're totally silenced, man. Like we don't have your platform and no one, no one lets us speak. So it's really hard. Um, but, but these actions that we participate in, um, you know, like the one that, you know, we just did with Kay Yang in New York, these, these are public records of us saying no, and we see what you're doing and we don't agree. And we are standing up to say something. However, not, or not, however, and this is, this is not an either, or it's, it's an, and, you know, so, so for me, what I see as, as the value sets of, of the other side, they are the value sets of, uh, of, of disembodiment, of dissociation, of, of cognitive dissonance, of objectification, hypersexualization, compartmentalization. And so, for me, I also, as much as I, of course, um, want to do direct action, you know, where, where I'm, I'm, you know, combating it head to head. I also want to continue to approach this at a values level so that I can value into the world, the values that I do want to see. So if I see those as kind of the opposite values, I, I think that the values that are actually needed uh, in the world are the value sets of embodiment, you know, holism, mm. um, being fully embodied, um, being in my instincts, intuition, sense perceptions. I think these are skill building tools for having boundaries. I'm ultimately working on uh, writing uh, as well. So I, I am doing practical work with women around these things, skill building work. So I'm using some of these tools that I talked about in the beginning um, of where I use my theater um, and my degree in, in psychology to do skill building work, you know, to help women be in their intuition, be with their instincts, Mm. trust their sense perceptions. Uh, And these are, these are absolutely skills, you know, (laughs) these are skills that we can build. And ultimately these skills will even help us in our activism because these, these skills help give us appropriate boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, and they actually, uh, grow courage because these are also the skills of internal authority. So these are skill building around internal authority Mm. and, 
you know, I like to, I like to use this uh, metaphor that my, I, I got from a mentor of mine uh, and now I use it when, when I work with women, she talks about uh, the vacant house. So if you, if you see a vacant house, you know, you'll, you'll, you might see a vacant house that has all kinds of barriers. You know, it might have, you know, a a huge barbed wire fence with that tangle of barbed wire at the very top of it. But if you see a house like this, you'll, you'll also notice, you know, kids are going to see it. They're, they're still going to, you know, break through. They're going to hold their parties there. They're going to throw bottles through the window. Drug dealers are going to break in. They are going to do their, their, you know, their drug deals in there because everyone can see that the house is vacant. Mm. So people will take advantage and that will happen regardless of how much barbed wire you use. But when you have a house that is fully occupied, you know, the lights are on, the grass is mowed, there's a little birdhouse and and a, a hummingbird feeder and it's freshly painted Maybe you just have a little picket fence. Maybe you don't have a fence at all. You don't need a a barrier because being fully occupied Mm. is a natural boundary. That's a natural boundary. Mm. Mm. That's claiming my ground, being fully in myself, being present, being attuned to my own instincts and sense perceptions. So I am, I am working with women on this. I am leading um, retreats with skill building in these areas. Um, And ultimately I'm, I'm working on writing. (laughs) I'm, I would like to, um, you know, it's taking some of the work of my dissertation and, you know, changing it to be a little more palatable (laughs) because that's really technical. It's, it's really, um, it's academic and not as interesting, but I want to really, write and communicate this into the world, you know, how to become fully occupied, Mm. you know, so that, you know, people can see, you know, the lights are on someone's home. And again, it's, it's a really easy way um, to create boundaries. And, and the thing that I do think is happening for, for a lot of these kids who are so dissociated, ultimately they're like that vacant house, you know? And again, it it doesn't in a sense matter how many boundaries, barriers, it doesn't matter how many barriers you put up, you know, because when people can see that the house is vacant, they're going to take advantage, you know? And I think there's, there's a lot of women who have had this, you know, I know that when I was, you know, I, I came to some of this work on my own partially through, um, the event of my trauma, because that put me in a dissociated state, you know? So I have a lot of compassion, Mm -hmm. you know, for these people who feel dissociated from their bodies. I can understand that. 
I can understand feeling dissociated. I can understand feeling like my body is not a safe place to be. You know, I have deep understanding of that feeling. Uh, so, you know, it's its own kind of um, body dysphoria, you know, mm-hmm. even though I didn't, I didn't wish I was the opposite sex. Um, I didn't have that kind of, um, I didn't go in that direction, but I did have this feeling like, uh, this is not a good place to be, you know, and ultimately I you know, did a ton of, of processing, but the best uh, processing that I did, you know, was through somatic work, you know, through embodied work, you know, now ultimately like this, this is, you know, where, where I have honed all of my expertises, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've honed my expertises in theater, um, which is, you know, putting things through your body, becoming a character in your body. Um, and also the, the background in, uh, psychology that I went through and also just my own practical self-development work also plays into this. I want us to, uh, revalue these things because one, I think that we are in an imbalance in our culture and where we've, we've really forgotten these things or Mm -hmm. undervalued them and not really seen how urgent and important these things are. I think women need these tools and men and women need these tools. I just happen to have a heart for working with women, (laughs) you know, men and women need these tools, of course. Uh, But I think women now more than ever, because we are now in a culture where we see this hyper objectified version of women in porn, in men who, you know, LARP (laughs) as us. Uh, and, and it's ultimately like culturally acceptable. So it's hard not to, have that influence, um, your own way of being. And I think, but the more that you can skill build in these areas and learn to trust yourself and your senses and your intuition and your instincts, Mm -hmm. these create natural boundaries, you know? No, I love that. There's so many lessons in what you just said. I was, I was thinking like, I don't get trolls anymore. Yeah, very rare, very rarely, very rarely. They just started to die down. Yeah. And I can only explain that uh, as me being like a fully occupied house, the lights are on. And no matter how many times they drive by the house, I'm still there. Yeah. Yeah. And I. I, I mean, there's so many ways that that could be interpreted, like on a personal level, too. But the, I, I really appreciate that, um, that metaphor. Well, and in a way, I mean, you this is this is I mean, you do some different kind of work, but this is also the work that you do ultimately. Yes. I mean, this is very. Yes. Um, you do skill building in this area as well. You know, these are skills that can be developed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Resilience building. They're not getting triggered like the, the trigger, you know, like I in this case, I would going back to the house example. It's like the trigger would be someone drives by and, and you know, the person who lives in the house runs out with a gun, you know, ready to shoot. Like, it's just not necessary. We don't have yeah, to act yeah. like that 
at this point because we are cooking an elaborate recipe. Like we are so involved in our like cooking, you know, uh, yeah, in the house yeah, entertain. And yeah. actually people are at the house. We are entertaining yeah. at that point. And we can't even fathom standing on the corner, just counting the number of cars that go by. It was just would be insane. So, um, yes, I totally agree with you. And, and I love the work that you're doing. And I, I love the way that you, uh, kind of tied it back into your background in, in theater and, and how, the somatic element is, it sounds like incredibly crucial. And, and, you know, uh, uh, my version of the, I guess the theater, the character stuff is the um, parts therapy, you know, in NLP, it's called yeah. parts therapy or, you know, with the conscious leadership tools, it's the, the persona work or so, so each kind of modality has its own um, expression of, of examining the, those characters within us, those parts of us that are, you know, yeah. trying to, to, really have a positive intention, but are getting a bit, you know, misdirected. And I, I just spoke with my the episode I released recently with Jeanette uh, Cooper, who, you know, for partners oh, for ethical yeah. care. Yeah. yeah. And, and she was really, uh, she really got into the, the goals. Like what are the goals that these children are trying to meet? You know, how can we isolate the, the positive intention and the goal and meet yeah. those needs in a different way. And that's the same thing for like compulsive behaviors too. Like there's always a positive intention, whether it's smoking or binge eating or hair pulling, you know, so how do we create the space? You know, we can really look at this um, in a sort of holistic naturopathic way. Um, For example, you know, the symptom is not the problem, you know, the symptom is just a signal uh, pointing to what is the real problem. You know, just like if you get a fever, you know, your body might be fighting a virus or an infection. You know, the fever is is not the real issue. Uh, and I think that kids who are experiencing discomfort from the stereotype projections of a very narrow, regressive, sexist culture, mm-hmm. ultimately, that that's an accurate response system. That's yes. an accurate response to those narrow structures. So there is nothing wrong with the body of a child who is having that symptom response. You know, maybe they are actually more sensitive to the stereotypes than some other kids, you know, so there's, there's nothing wrong with them. And, and their symptom is simply telling us, Hey, let's address the external environment, you know, because something in the external environment is exacerbating this child's symptoms, you know, and, and instead what we're doing is just so messed up because the kid, again, like the kid, the kid is accurate, but the kid, instead of going along with the delusion, like, like going, you know, this is like, I'm sure you've said this before. I've said this before. I've heard others say, but like, you know, it's like, if we, if we told an anorexic, yeah, you're, you're fat and let's, let's, um, let's put you on a diet. Let's get you some gastric bypass. You know, you're right. (laughs) You do need to lose 10 pounds, you know, like we don't, we don't affirm that symptom, 
Yeah. You know, we say, Hey, you are, are having a response to, to some real external pressures that culture is putting on you, but, but culture is the problem. Your, your body is not the problem, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's how we need to be framing this. hundred percent. And and I really resent the like RODG, the pathology around that. It's like, it just finding the right psychiatrist to treat your kid. I'm like, no, I'm like, no, the last thing they need is more pathology. Like, I, I mean, I have a lot of judgment. I always, I know parents are t- doing do. the best that they can, but I, I really, I, I, I take issue with or something that I've been navigating or kind of coming across is the still amongst that conflict of having a child who's identifying as the opposite sex still then being entrenched in uh, like Freudian psychology and and isolating them with like an adult man that they've never met. Who's going to like get them on SSRIs or what? Like, you know, it's, there's still so much, but, uh, but on the other end, I have spoken to a number of, of parents of trans identified kids who have said that the push for medicalization um, onto their kids has woken them up to a kind of a larger kind of the pharmaceutical industry and, and kind of what's gone on with COVID. And, and so that, yep. that's a kind of an interesting silver lining is uh, yeah. kind of a, because they've been forced to, to kind of question or, you know, be afraid of the gender affirming therapists and doctors. It has made them skeptical of, of many other parts of yeah. the, the dominant paradigm, and, you know, when it comes to medicine and health and white coat authority and, and all that. But um, I'm just so glad that you're out there, you know, like giving incredible advice and guidance and support to, to women. And uh, are you working with children at this point? Do you work, do you like counsel children? Okay. You're with, you're with adult women. Okay. Yeah. I'm not working with children either. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I, if I, I'm as I I'm developing um, a, an ability to have work a, a pl- like a place um, to have workshops and retreats. Uh, so that is being built right now. And what I could see myself doing, you know, is just more of like a camp, like, you know, activity setting where, you know, I might have, uh, you know, I've obviously I've taught kids in the past and, um, I can see doing some, you know, like some theater camp where, you know, ultimately, you know, these, these skills and tools are, are woven into mm. our play, um, in a, in, in that kind of a setting. Right. But, um, no, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I'm not, I, no, I don't want to get into working with kids on, yeah. on that level. Unfortunately, I, yeah. I just think it's, um, yeah, I'll leave that to others. Yeah, for sure. And, and as you said, I don't, I, I agree. Like, I don't, I don't want to further uh, pathologize or, or medicalize or um, I, I really, you know, I'm sure same as you, I have a lot of critiques of the APA and the, um, their diagnostic manual, the DSM, mm-hmm. you know, I, they are very, they're a political organization and mm-hmm. that is a political document. Um, yeah. And I, I don't agree with a lot of uh, the um, prescriptions in that document. 
Oh, I really, I so enjoyed this conversation, Amy. I, I know we've known each other for like a year and a half, I think. Yeah. Almost, yeah, and yeah. I, this is well overdue. And, and, and where can women, um, find you? What is your YouTube handle? Your, are you, your Twitter handle to tell us where women can find you. Yay. My YouTube is at known heretic. My Twitter is at known heretic. My very tiny Instagram, uh, is at known heretic and coming soon. Uh, I am in development. Uh, my website it's actually up. It's just still under construction. Uh, but little red reverberations mm. is the name of that business. Um, I have done a, a few retreats with a colleague of mine. Uh, we did our grad school together. Um, so that has been happening under that name. Um, the work that I am doing uh, individually with women is happening under that name. Um, and I see myself uh, developing. I, I'm, I'm ultimately trying to develop uh, that uh, right now. Oh, and one of the things that I'm going to have coming soon, which I, of course, I'll, I'm going to put this up on my uh, known heretic site for, you know, all of the, you know, I have so many followers there, uh, but I'm going to do uh, a really fun uh, women who run with the wolves class, nice. uh, which, which people will be able to either do live with me, uh, as, as a, you know, a back and forth, uh, lecture. I will also put it, um, so that, you know, people can, uh, download and, and watch it. So, um, that'll nice. be a really fun thing because, uh, first of all, I think that book is so cool. Um, but that book in itself is all about, <laughs> intuition building and mm -hmm. instincts and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and ultimately these, these kind of tools are, are it fall under that feminine heading. I think it's a really nice book because one, it's just a pleasurable read. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, it's a, it's a feminist text that happens to be uh, really interesting. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a mythic and archetypal. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's not as academic as, uh, some of the other texts out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it, it also gives a lot of practical tools. So I think yeah. it will be a really fun thing to develop. That's so, uh, uh, that's so exciting. I, I just brought it back from my mom's place. I was like, what books did I leave behind that I want? Oh. And I brought that this is calling to you. So, so um, that's so, um, synchronous as my friend would say synchronistic that you're doing the, that, yeah. the class on yeah. that. Um, that's awesome. Wow. Cool. Okay. I'll link all of that information in, in the show notes for, for women to follow Yay. up. Um, cool. Thanks. Thank you again, Amy. Thank you. Great talking with you. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support my work, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To stay in the loop for my latest coaching programs, hypnosis sessions, free resource guides, and more, follow me on Instagram at whosebodyisit and visit my website, whosebodyisit.com.